In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear a piece that takes one moment in a whole breast cancer experience and distills it so beautifully. I'm excited to share this piece and its author with you today because it gives us the opportunity to talk about the behind the scenes of writing a piece of memoir. When medical stories happen in our lives, we get really used to telling them in a medicalized way. We stick to the facts. What was the diagnosis? How old were we? What and where was the treatment? Maybe we scratch the surface and get into how the treatment affected us or how the diagnosis changed our lives, but we tend to give lots more airtime to the facts than we do to our feelings. But the feelings are the key parts. These are the parts where we get to see the transformation. The facts of the story are important, don't get me wrong, but they are most important to you because they happen to you. You write them down and keep track of them because you're the journalist, the reporter of the happenings of your life, as you should be. But when you want to share this story with others who are not your medical team, the facts of what happened become less important. We want to know how this whole thing made you feel, how the feeling part then transformed you. How do you do this? It boils down to two questions. What did it look like and how did you feel? What did it look like and how did you feel? This is personal storytelling. It sounds so incredibly simple because it really is. You don't have to do any special storytelling gymnastics to write a really powerful story. It's just what did it look like and how did you feel? My guest today does this so beautifully in her essay about the day she went to the hospital for her mastectomy. As you listen, you'll hear how the facts fade to the background as the sensory details come forward. My guest is Don Amadeo. After being diagnosed with stage two hormone positive breast cancer at 34, Don turned to writing, yoga, and meditation to process her experience. Life isn't the same and her body isn't the same, but she takes each day as it comes. She likes black coffee, like me, long walks, palm springs, spin class, live music, vegan food, and books. Dawn's now 39, and she lives in Los Angeles with her wife and their two dogs and an amazing support network. Hey, Dawn. Welcome to The Burn. Thanks, April. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so happy you're here. So you're reading a piece that you wrote called Car Battery. This was a piece that is just freshly out in the world in our current issue, the 2022 body issue. We just released it, published it a couple of weeks ago, and you're the very first reader I've had on the burn from this new issue. 
exciting. Yeah. So each year, for those of you listening, each year we publish the body issue to talk about all the physical ways breast cancer has changed us from hair loss to menopause to chemo and radiation and, of course, breast surgery. It's our sixth year doing this particular theme. And I really love it because it creates this place to talk about and show all the different outcomes from like I said, the facts of what happens to us and the outcomes get into not just the physical, but the emotional too. All right, Dawn. So after you read, we will talk about your experience of writing this piece and those listening, stay tuned to the end for a writing prompt inspired by our chat. All right, Dawn, I'll let you take it away. Subana and I walked downstairs into the car. The car battery has been dead for two weeks because we've both been working and distracted. I wait for Sav to jump our red Volkswagen hatchback with the weird temporary battery thing she bought on Amazon Prime two days ago. I'm clutching a folded sheet of loose leaf paper with handwritten affirmations on it. The operating room is full of skilled, experienced practitioners. As we pull into the hospital, a new one for me, my prior care and visits have been elsewhere. We see the valet. Savannah rolls up and turns off the car, removing the key. At that moment, both she and I realize the car will not restart because the battery is dead. She looks at me with panic. We are late. I pick up my black leather overnight bag and calmly take two steps away from the car. It is overcast, but not raining. I look at Savannah, smile genuinely, and turn to walk into the hospital's automatic doors. I wasn't angry, but for the first time in my life, I was selfish. I didn't think about what she needed from me, only what I needed. And what I needed was to go inside and begin the registration process. Countless sheets of paper attached to a clipboard. The same questions I answered on the phone last night. The same questions I've written on every form for the last seven months. Invasive ductal carcinoma. No allergies. Emergency contact, spouse, 310-279-3099. Religious preference, none. Savannah meets me in that first waiting room, and we say nothing. I am calmer than I've ever been before. In my right hand, a pen. In my left, the affirmation paper, now a bit sweaty. I will wake up easily and feel refreshed after surgery. My team will remove all traces of cancer, leaving my body cancer-free. We go upstairs and fill out more paperwork. They show me to the pre-op area and introduce me to my nurse, Sandy. Sandy does not possess the ease I've grown accustomed to with nurses. Sandy feels nervous, like a small bird. She flits around the curtained area, a pen in hand, seemingly unsure what comes next. Sandy tries to set up an IV. I can tell right away it's not going to work. My arm stings and aches. My chest is full of dread. Two, three times, no luck. I remind her I have a port and ask if she wants to use it. I wouldn't know where to begin with that, she explains. Of course. Sandy gets another nurse to come over. Deborah sets up my IV in under 30 seconds. It is a painless affair. She tells Sandy to finish up as it's nearly time. They want me to take a pregnancy test. I assure them there is no way, no way I am pregnant. I'm in menopause, I'm gay. I haven't had sex with a man in 15 years. 
they're confused. I'm stuck on principle. Finally, they let me sign a paper, a declaration, a waiver that in no uncertain terms claims that I am not pregnant. And if I am pregnant, it's not their fault if something bad happens. I want to write a side note. The bad thing has already happened. I have cancer and the treatment made me infertile. Thanks for sparing me the urine test. XOXOD. Dr. DeLeo comes into the small curtained off area and it is delightful to see a familiar face, even if it is of the man who's about to slice my chest open. He has me open my robe and starts marking my chest with what appears to be a purple Sharpie. I realize he's outlining the contours of my current body to help him place the expanders, make the right cuts. It feels like art, but also like a clothes tailor, a seamstress making a foreign bodice pattern and then assigning it to me. Dr. DeLeo steps back and gets lower so that he's eye level with my chest. He has me spread my arms wide and hold them there. He kneels in front of me and I'm struck by the likeness to a crucifixion. My right arm is attached to the IV pump and I'm cautious not to pull it. Is this the payback for my sins? I cannot name them, but feel a knowing somewhere deep that I deserve this. I was never good. I am surrounded by a blanket of love and good intentions. All the good thoughts and words that have ever been felt or said about me encircle me now. Savannah snaps a photo for my parents. I smile, clutching my paper. Another nurse comes in with a short, almost buzz cut. She checks a few things, adjusts the IV, introduces herself as Jai, and lets me know she'll be inserting a catheter. What? No one told me I'd need that. She smiles warmly and puts her capable, confident hand on my shoulder. It's okay. I'm very good at it, and you will be asleep. You won't even know. As we enter the hallway and Jai pushes the gurney with some others, a nurse in a bouffant surgical cap meets us in the hallway. Hi, I'm here to hold your hand. She stands beside me on the left and takes my hand in hers. They're cool, but not cold. She, like Jai, is infused with that steady intersection of professionalism and boundless love that is so comforting. The OR is larger than I thought it would be and much brighter. I mean, I guess of course it's bright. They need to see what they're doing. But in Grey's Anatomy, it always seems dim in there, like a nice restaurant or a late night flight. The anesthesiologist is behind my head, talking to me very calmly. There is something deeply unsettling about having the anesthesiologist outside of you, like getting knocked out from behind. I have the urge to cut and run. Suddenly, this all feels crazy. Surely this can't be happening. The nurse is still holding my hand. I remind myself to do the breathing, say the affirmations. I don't have the paper anymore. They took it away. But I remember them perfectly and recite them in my mind. My body heals easily and without complication. I sleep deeply for the duration of my surgery. My blood loss will be minimal. The wisdom of the universe flows through my surgeon's hands. The anesthesiologist puts a mask on me and says, this will relax you a little. And before I can tell him it, it's relaxing me a lot, I realize that's okay. That's what they're doing. I wish they would just tell you, this is it. When you wake up, your breasts will have been amputated. I think of Jai somewhere in this room, 
and this sweet, patient nurse still gently holding my left hand. She wasn't kidding. I like to think maybe she'll stay there for the duration. Scrubbed in for no other purpose. As the room fades to bubbles and the sounds soften and blend together, the affirmations keep scrolling in my mind. My body is resilient. My team is highly skilled. My surgery is successful and free of complications. Out front of the hospital, Savannah is getting a jump so she can finally move her car. The valet let her leave it, stalled out in front of their stand until I was safely in the OR. We don't know it then, but this is the part of the story we laugh about for years to come. I like to think about it, the surgeon covering my chest in chloroprop and steadying the scalpel. Savannah in the parking lot where it has started to drizzle, connecting the car battery to a stranger's car, slipping in the driver's side door, turning the key forward once, twice, until the engine is flooded with power. Mm. Dawn, thank you so much for that. Such a beautiful story, and I love your reading of it. Thank you. So we will take a quick break here for a testimonial, and when we come back, we will get into the writing of this piece. Hi, my name is Bonica Haro, and I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. I was diagnosed with invasive lobular carcinoma when I was 42 years old. Um, Wildfire Magazine has been a great tool in my wellness toolbox. Um, reading the magazine, participating in writing workshops, and having contributed some essays to past issues has really validated me and helped me process through um, a lot of the pain associated with my cancer diagnosis and made me feel less alone. I'm really grateful for Wildfire Magazine. Thank you so much for the love, Monica. All right. Welcome back, Dawn. Thank you again for your powerful story. So this, I understand, is your first publication. Is that right? That's right. Congratulations. And I'm just so honored that you um, chose Wildfire for your first your first publishing. Yeah, it's it's quite an honor. Um, the, the company um, of the other authors published in Wildfire is, uh, is pretty incredible. I love that. Thank you. Well, I want to get into some of the writing of this particular story. Um, like I kind of said at the beginning, you did such a masterful job of just taking one moment, one scene from your story, slowing everything way down so we could see it. I felt like I was there. I could picture it. And then peeling back those layers to the feelings that started to stir up for you. Was that something that came naturally for you? Um, is this how you normally write? Like take us kind of behind the scenes of writing this particular piece for you. Yeah, it's a great, great question. I, um, to some extent it is how I normally write. I really like to, um, to zoom in like that. I actually find it a bit easier to, to dial it way in. It's, it's more overwhelming for me to try to capture a larger narrative arc um, and and a much more intuitive experience to say, okay, let me look at this hour or two hours of this experience and try to explain what it was like to be there. So that that's what happened here. And um, I think the the part that's not instinctual for me is the feelings part. Um, it's a bit it's easier for me to describe what's happening and the people around me, and a little bit harder for me to explain what was happening in my body or how it felt 
to, to be me in that moment. Um, there's a little bit of a disconnect there sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you're alone in that. I think that that takes practice, but it also takes time. Like a story has to kind of evolve and we realize what we were feeling and thinking in it. Um, and then we go back to it. And I love those little clues, I think, sometimes that show up in writing where it's like, then I realized, or I was surprised, or, and those are the little like, hey, hey, something's going on here. Yeah. Yeah. Something's happening. Exactly. Yeah. Well, one thing I think is so interesting in your piece is it's a little meta in that you have writing within writing. So you wrote all these affirmations, right, for yourself. Is this something else that you've been doing for a long time or was this... Okay, so tell us about this. So um, I was, I had never had surgery before and was quite anxious about the, you know, the unknown of it, right? So that um, I, leading up to my mastectomy, I was, I was nervous about just what it would be like to be in the room and, and, um, you know, have this very intense experience. And my therapist at the time uh, gave me the advice of, you know, how about reframing that? How about speaking some affirmations and, and, you know, really writing how it's going to be and, you know, making it in the present tense and very uh, affirmative. And so I had probably a week or two before the surgery had just like drafted on a notebook page, all of these ones, and then sort of like picked my favorites and rewrote them and tore the page out of the notebook and, and didn't think too much of it. Like, I don't know, I never would have thought that that would be the thing, but it was the thing, um, especially that day. It really kept me grounded in feelings of um, safety. And I think it allowed the experience to just be what it was. And it really, um, it really allowed me to focus on all of the, the, good things in that room in a weird way, right? Like surgery can be a lot of different things. And, um, but at the end of the day, for me, it was healing and it was, you know, full of skilled practitioners and the affirmations really allowed me to sit in that leading up to it. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that really struck me by your affirmations were that it shifted the focus. Well, it was kind of 50-50, but in a large way, shifted the focus to your care team and maybe allowed you to see them with gratitude instead of, you know, we go into it like, why me? I don't want to do this. You know, I, I want to be anywhere else but here and let you see them as as holding you. I mean, even some of them literally holding your hand, right? It does. It it shifted the experience. And, and part of that honestly, is it's my, my wife is a healthcare provider. Um, and so I see it from that other side and I know how much love that she brings, you know, to the OR or the ICU or whatever, when she shows up, um, and just how much love we hold in our household for those patients. Right. Like, so I, I think having that input really helped me think about, oh, these people are, they're just there to make us well and to care for us. And, um, and that's a really, at the end of the day, that's like a beautiful um, part of this horrible experience. And and that you were able to hold space for them too. And and meanwhile, outside the valet is holding space for, for Savannah and this car battery too. Like it's, it's like this whole bubble is happening. It was just beautiful. Yeah. Tell me a little bit what your feeling is. Um, and I might be putting words in your mouth, so you'll have to tell me, but this metaphor of this car battery and, and your, your 
battery kind of, you know, in this OR as well, your test there. Like, tell me a little about that. Yeah. When I first wrote this piece, I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't, they were together somehow, you know, but they, I couldn't pull them all the way together. And um, I finally realized that's, that's okay. Um, I think that, you know, there's something, I, this may be inarticulate, so forgive me, but there's something about the, um, the car battery being, uh, you know, being empty when we needed it the most and, and, um, but also something that is solvable and something that, you know, relying on, on, on others and sort of the like broader, um, support, um, that we were able to kind of get it back online. And and I think the juxtaposition for me of like, sort of as I was going under the car coming back and like, I don't know, you know, it just sort of feels like those are the, um, those are the ups and downs and ins and outs. And yeah. And also a battery is a fixable part of the car. You know, it was, it, it, obviously you cannot go if it's not working, but it can be jumped. I love this like metaphor too of jumping it. Um, it can be replaced. It can be fixed. It can be nurtured. It can be, you know, brought back to life. And you, in a way you are put under, you are out, you know, this team did their work and then they brought you back and you walked back out of there. Yeah. Mm, powerful. So let me just bring us to, um, to another part of your story. This is really vulnerable. And so, you know, I'm curious what you'll say, and you can also say, I'm not going there, but there's this part that, um, was heartbreaking for me because it really struck a chord and I related so much to it. And it was the point at which you were, kind of wondering if you had brought this cancer upon yourself. You're there in front of your breast surgeon. He's drawing this map on your body and you wrote, he kneels in front of me and I'm struck by the likeness to a crucifixion. <laughs> he kneels in front of me and I'm struck by the likeness to a crucifixion. My right arm is attached to the IV pump and I'm cautious not to pull it. Is this payback for my sins? I cannot name them, but feel a knowing somewhere deep that I deserve this. I was never good. Oh, Dawn, I was never good. It just struck me in my heart. And I wanted to bring it up because I had moments through my own experience where I thought I had brought it on myself, either because of past behavior or just kind of a feeling that cancer was going to come for me, you know, at some point. And did I manifest it? So I guess I want to thank you, one, for being so vulnerable in that piece, but can you, can you take us into that a little bit? And I guess one of my questions is, was it, was it a, a conscious thought or did this emerge in the writing that this was something you were harboring? I think a lot of people have this experience with breast cancer, but there's a lot of messaging that really aims, I think, to be empowering and to allow uh, patients to have a sense of agency. Uh, about how you can prevent breast cancer and how you can, um, you know, whatever, all these things you can do. And so um, for me, when I was diagnosed at 34 and I had been vegetarian and vegan for like 20 some years, I had, you know, I, I did all the things that I was supposed to do. And so 
almost unconsciously it becomes, well, okay, there must be something even deeper wrong with you, right? Like, and it's maybe, you know, not on a conscious level, but, but somewhere in you, it's like, oh, okay. Um, and it took me a while to move away from that feeling and say, like, this isn't because of anything I did. This isn't because I was too stressed out at work. This isn't because, um, you know, I, don't know, I sometimes have insomnia and whatever. Um, but the, it did really come up for me again in the surgery because there was something about it that felt, I guess, juxtaposed to the being cared for by my team, but there's something that almost feels like punishment, right? Like you're having this, this part of you taken and, and it just very loaded and probably still haven't even unpacked it all, but some of it feels like punishment. Um, in the moment with the doctor, I didn't necessarily have that feeling, but my Simona had taken a snapshot of the photograph that's included in the magazine. And it was when I was looking at that photograph that I was like, oh shit, you know, um, this is, this is, this is why that kind of had that feeling. Um, and I don't know, I'd, I'd like to say I don't harbor that anymore. And I think that, you know, with time and with um, the, the beauty of community, certainly, and speaking to so many other people and women with similar experiences really helps heal a lot of that. Um, but I think in other ways, it's still an ongoing process of, of knowing that these types of things can just happen and it's not for any reason and that's not it's not punishment um for any of that yes absolutely and maybe there's an opportunity for more affirmations in that you know in this forgiveness process and this acceptance and you know even though I grew this cancer I love and appreciate myself deeply you know um yeah. But I just really like this opportunity that writing gives us to discover that we are having these thoughts and then work them out, follow them to the, wherever they go. Yeah. And what you said too about the empathy that we can find for ourselves through developing community and hearing someone else speak it because we are so harsh on ourselves, right? Like I would never look at you in that OR and be like, oh, she brought this on herself, you know, <laughs> but we do that. Yeah. It's wild. Uh, well, Dawn, thank you so much for being here today and reading your story and, and getting into it with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, April. Yeah, absolutely. So today's writer and guest was Dawn Amadeo. Her piece was called Car Battery from the June-July 2022 issue of Wildfire Magazine called Body. And for all of you listening, I have a little surprise for you. If you haven't heard, Dawn is going to be reading this piece at a live storytelling event that we have coming up. We are bringing back an event that we used to do early on in the pandemic when we all figured out that we had webcams and we could gather. And I used to do these. This was before the podcast where each issue would come out. We'd get in a Zoom room together and various writers from the magazine would read their stories. I'd ask them questions similar to this, but what we don't have on the podcast is audience participation. So all of you listening, hope you will come and check out the event. 
ask your questions, tell your stories. Dawn will read her story along with about 10 other writers who will read from the body issue. That is coming up on July 24th totally free, but in order to send you the Zoom link, you do have to sign up and register for it. So that's wildfirecommunity.org slash workshops, wildfirecommunity.org slash workshops. The event is coming up on July 24th. I will be hosting with Dana Donofrey of Anna Ono Intimates. All right, Dawn, before we run, where can people find you online or learn more about you? That's a, that's a good question. Um, I guess probably on, on Instagram, I'm at BrickwinDawn on Instagram. And um, if anybody wants to chat about anything, they should feel free to send me a message. Happy to connect. Excellent. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Well, I'm April Stearns and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn is a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's chat. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our now 37 issues in the Wildfire archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. There's no place on the planet like a wildfire writing workshop, and I want you to experience it for yourself. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. And don't forget to check out that live event, the um, Body Stories on July 24th. All right, here is your writing prompt. The story that is bursting out of me is, I want you to set your timer for eight minutes and write without stopping or editing. And as you write, I want you to take that story and begin with what did it look like? How did it feel? Boil it down to the sensory details, the look, the taste, the sounds, and then peel back those layers into how it made you feel. The story that's bursting out of me is eight minutes, right? Without stopping, see what needs to come out and where it will take you. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care. <laughs>